All right, why so transcultural? And as I get into it, it'll make sense to why we decided to call it that. Um, but, but here's the thing. When we talk about transculturalism, which is uh, who we are, we call ourselves gospel-centered disciple-making and transcultural. This idea of transcultural means to be diverse, a diverse community, uh, the way God intended it to be. And so I felt it necessary for us to, to pause for a moment and just to unpack that from the scriptures, that, um, that this isn't a, a, an addendum to the gospel, that this isn't an extra to the gospel. It's not a nice-to-have. This idea of being transcultural is not, a, is not a good idea, but rather it's entwined in the very nature of the gospel. It's the very narrative of the gospel, that we are called to be transcultural. I had a conversation with a friend, and he is a friend, he really is a friend this past week, um, and I was sharing a little bit about what God is doing here and how amazing you guys are. And, um, and we're talking about this idea of diversity, uh, how we believe it's important, especially in the church. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, 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 you know, our church is diverse as well. Um, but he's like, you know, but you know, this is what I believe about it. I think if we just preach the gospel, then that'll naturally happen. And so I said to him, and I guess there's a lot of churches out there not preaching the gospel. Because this isn't naturally happening. That we're called to be intentional about this. And so we are gospel-centered disciple-making and transcultural, not gospel-centered disciple-making and transcultural. This is incredibly important, and we find it in the Scriptures. And so what I want to do for the next six weeks is to show you that this isn't just uh, something that Jesus decided, hey, I think this is a good idea. Church, you should be transcultural. But that rather this has always been the plan of God. That not only do we see it in the New Testament, but we find it in the Old Testament as well. That it's always been at the heart of God for His church to be diverse. And so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at the different themes that we find in the Bible. We're going to look at the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. We'll do that this morning. And then we'll look at the poems. We'll look at the prophets. We'll transition over to the New Testament and we'll look at the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll look at the letters, and then we'll wrap it up in Revelation to show you that this has always been the plan of God, a transcultural community displaying the glory of who God is. And so I just wanted to start by saying before we pray and get to the Word, is that this word transculturalism or, or this idea or this beautiful truth, transculturalism, uh, we got from a church in Atlanta. It's no secret. Uh, renovation church uh, where Leon Scrump leads. We got it from him. I was kind of searching for something slightly different because I know people will say, hey, is transculturalism multi-ethnic, multi-racial? And I'll be like, yeah, it's, it's similar but different. So I was looking for something different because here's the truth. A lot of us have been exposed to, to doorposts that will say we are multicultural or we are multiracial. And then you walk in and then you're like, no, no, you're not. Almost to the point where now when you hear it, you almost go, I don't, I don't know how true that is. And so I was like, well, let's find something different where people will, will walk in and, and actually ask, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be transcultural? So we got it from him, and, and they are a transcultural church. And so Leon's Crump, he defines it this way. It's a beautiful definition of what it means to be transcultural. He says, 
Every human being is endued with the Imago Dei, the image of God, captured in unique cultural and ethnic expressions which embody the full breadth of God's creative genius, not to be subverted to the ethnic or cultural identity and preferences of another, but rather celebrated in creating a fuller expression of our humanity, a woven tapestry of color and culture and class as God forms a family for himself from all people. Now that's something I can get behind. It's an amazing definition of what it means to be transcultural. But it's a lot. There's a lot there. And so when I sat with him, I said, listen, can I take this definition? We want to anchor ourselves in it, but can I take it and then contextualize it for our space, for South Africa, for the continent of Africa? And he was like, yeah, go for it. So, so this is what we came up with. To be transcultural is, is a community that reflects, embraces, and enjoys the diversity of its context, but by the power of the gospel transcends it and creates a new community. That's what it means to be transcultural. And every word in that definition is incredibly important, that we want to reflect, that we want to embrace, that we want to enjoy the diversity of our context, but by the power of the gospel transcend it and create one new community. But if I was to take these two definitions and to summarize them, and you're going to hear this a lot throughout the series, this is what God is doing. God is forming a family for himself from all people. God is forming a family for himself from all people. And God's family can only function fully in God's world when all of God's people contribute to the flourishing of God's family. I believe this to be true because we see this in Scripture time and time again. And so this morning as we kick off the series, we're going to be in the Torah. I want to show you from the Torah, the first five books, and we're going to focus on one book. We're going to look at Genesis. That this has always been the plan of God. This isn't a new thing. This isn't an addendum to the gospel. It's not an extra. It's not a nice to have. It's an implication of the gospel. And it's so strong that we actually have to ask the question where we don't see it, where we don't see this, this beautiful tapestry of God. Has the gospel actually landed? And so I want to read Genesis chapter 12. And we're only going to be in three verses, and so I, I hope to be brief with you this morning. It is a strong hope. Genesis chapter 12, I believe it will be up on the screen. I'm going to read only three verses to you, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get to work. So hear these words of our Father. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Before I pray, I just want to highlight that that what we're about to see, right, and this summarizes this entire sermon, what we're about to see is God calls a citizen to become a nomad. And then that nomad becomes an immigrant. Why? So that through him, 
all immigrants might become citizens. If you get what that means, then I don't have to preach that long this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's rich, that it's relevant, um, that it still moves. And so we ask that it would move this very morning, that you would open up our hearts, that we would see you for who you are, unpack this beautiful truth of what it means to be transcultural, what you have called us to do. Father, there will be moments of uncomfortability. I ask that you would move us through those times. Would you apply grace? I pray against any distractions here this morning. And so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my mouth, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 12. Let me give some context. Um, Genesis chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel. Now, some of you might know of this story. You see, God's people were doing well. They were flourishing. And so they thought to themselves, listen, uh, because we're so amazing, they were puffing themselves up. Because we're so amazing, let's, let's build this tower to God. Let's build this tower to God. And God said, that's not how you're going to get to me. It's not by your works that you're going to get to me. That's not going to happen. And so God then decides to, to mess them up a little bit. He scatters them, changes their language. See, at that point, they were all talking the same language, but then he, he scatters them and then changes their language. I found this interesting in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, where God says, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God, speaking of their unity, he realizes that when people are unified in purpose, they can accomplish impossible feats, both noble and horrible. We know that. We know that. And so this is why unity in the body of Christ is so important. It is incredibly important. And so Genesis 12, after he scatters them and, and messes up their language, we land in Genesis 12. God speaks to Abram, but he chooses his words carefully. God could have said anything, but he chooses his words carefully. In Genesis, for the first time, God speaks to Abram, and he gives them a command. Verse 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He tells them to go. That's the first thing he says to Abram. He says, I want you to go. I want you to leave. Leave everything. Language, culture, people, comfort, everything. I want you to leave. Everything that you've ever known, I want you to leave. See, Abram was to become Abraham, the first Jew, from which Jesus would come from. But in order to begin this miraculous lineage, God had to move Abraham. He had to take him out of his context, out of his place of comfort. Abraham is counted as faithful because he obeyed. We read this in Romans. Paul talks about Abraham and he, he says he was a man of incredible faith. Why? Because he obeyed. 
how would we respond? God comes to us and he says, I want you to go. I want you to leave. Maybe not our country, but maybe your suburb. Or your circle of comfort, your circle of friends. I want you to leave. How would we respond? Remember this beautiful truth, and I'm going to keep coming back to it again and again and again so we don't forget. God is forming a family for himself from all people. And so let's be honest. If God was to come to us and say, I want you to go because this is what I want to do. Would we go? Most times I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to go because it's, it's easier to hang out with people who are like me. I want to be comfortable in my own space. I've built my own empire. As little as it is, I've, I've built my own empire, and so I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We all think that way. All of us. These are some of the challenges that I was faced with when, when I felt that God was pressing on my heart to plant a church. As I was talking to other people who had planted churches, and I was like, guys, I, I need help. I need advice. What am I to do? Most of them would refer me to what many would call the homogeneous principle. You want to plant a church? You want to start a movement? The homogeneous principle. It's a real thing. Go Google it. And what it says is that if you, if you want to grow quickly, gather people who look exactly like you, who think exactly like you, who vote exactly like you, you will grow that thing. Because it's easy. You don't have to wrestle that much. And so many would come to me. In fact, they, I had some people come to me and say, hey, listen, you should think about going to Midrand. Not, not, not that Midrand is bad, you know. Midrand is cool. But they were like, you should go to Midrand. Why? Because we, we feel like the black middle class is moving to Midrand. So you can have this, this black middle class church so you guys can grow and thrive. And I was like... But I don't, I don't see that in the scriptures. I don't see that in the scriptures. But it made sense, the homogeneous principle. You want to grow something quick? Make sure everyone looks like you, thinks like you, acts like you. We have to press against this. If I was to be honest, I'd often rather obey my own personal preferences than I would the Bible. Because it's comfortable. See, God calls us to be missionaries. All of us are called to be missionaries. It's not just the people that leave their country. If you are a Christian, then you are a missionary. You cannot separate the two because a missionary is someone who takes the gospel to where it hasn't been heard or believed yet. And it's not just the countries far, far in the east. It's right here in our very city. They are Tons of people who don't know Jesus, who don't believe in him yet. And so we are called to him. God calls us to go. He calls us to go. And so yes, for some of us, that might mean going overseas. But for many of us, this will mean going across ethnic, cultural, and socioeconomic lines. Right here where you live, work, and play. 
where you live, work, and play. So God says to Abram, go. God says to us, go. But, but this is what's beautiful about God. This is what's beautiful about the scriptures is that when he gives a command, he always attaches promises to it. He always attaches promises to it. And, and so right here we see five promises that he gives to Abram. That he would fulfill if Abraham would obey. The first promise God says to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. If you go, I will make you a great nation. Now we have to understand the weight of this promise. I want you guys to sit in this promise for a little bit. Abraham is like 75 years old. The scriptures tell us that his wife is old as well. They're an old couple. And they have struggled to have children. They have a desire, but they have struggled to have children. And so I can only imagine Abraham sitting there and going, okay, so God, how how are you going to make us a great nation? You're asking me to leave everything that I know. You're asking me to leave my place of comfort. Maybe there was a plan here. But now you're wanting me to go, and I don't even know where I'm going. Look how old we are. We've struggled to have kids. In fact, we're beyond that age. How are you going to fulfill this promise? How are you going to make us a great nation? See, but God says that if you display faith over what you see here in the physical, what seems to be impossible, I will make possible. That's a promise that God makes time and time again. Where you see the impossible, I will make possible if you display faith. If you would only but display faith. See, God is saying to us, believe me over your ethnic preferences. Believe me over your cultural preferences. Believe me over your socioeconomic preferences. Believe me over your comfort. Because many of us will sit here and we'll be like, okay, a transcultural church. I know the narrative of our country. I know the narrative of our city. I know what my friends and family say. How how is this possible? God says, I will make you a great nation. What you see as impossible, I will make possible. If only you would display faith. See, for Abraham, he was to have many children. He was to have many physical children. For us, I believe, is that we will have many spiritual children. That we will have many spiritual children. That as we go and and proclaim the good news of the gospel, and as people come to faith, that they join the spiritual family. This beautiful tapestry, what we call the church, that's a promise made to us if we would go. But then the second promise that God makes to Abraham, he says, I will bless you. This word bless in the Hebrew means I I will barak you. Barak you. I will bless you. But what does it mean to be blessed by God? And every time we talk about blessing from up here, I'm going to keep hammering on this because I feel like the church today, we've missed it. 
What does it mean to be blessed by God? First and foremost, it means a life that is found in God. Therefore, being a life approved by God. And because it's approved by God, this brings delight to God. That's it. God is at the center of what it means to be blessed. It's a life that is found in God. And so because it's in God, it's approved by God. And this brings delight to Him. That's what it means to be blessed. And so that means that regardless of what's happening outside, externally, if my life is in God, and it is approved by God, and it brings delight to God, then you are blessed. I will say this again and again and again. This is where I believe the rich have so much to teach us. Where they have nothing, but yet find joy in God because their life is in God. Physically, they have nothing. Materially, they have nothing. But they find joy because their life is in God and is approved by God. And God delights in them. But, but, to be blessed by God also includes material blessing. It also includes material blessing. And like we covered in our series before this, Treasure Principles, it's not for us to just sit on. God doesn't prosper us so that our standard of living goes up. God prospers us. He blesses us so that the standard of our giving would increase. That we might be a blessing to others. And so therefore he will give us material things. But not so that we would hold on to those. But rather that we would participate in the great mission that God has called us to. He will give us all that we need to fulfill this mission. The proclamation of the gospel. So that those who don't know God may know him. And so when he says, I will bless you, he's saying, I will give you everything that you need to fulfill the mission. This includes material things. If we obey him, God says, if we obey him, we will participate in God forming a family for himself from all people. The third promise he makes to Abram, and I believe he makes to us if we would obey, he says, I will make your name great. Abram, I will make your name great. We don't need to labor on this for too long because you don't have to be a Christian to know the story of Abraham. I knew the story of Abraham long before I knew who Jesus was. Remember some of those songs we used to sing? Many sons. Today I would add many sons and daughters. God says, Abraham, I will make your name great. I will make your name great. Your influence, Abraham, will be great. Remember, Abraham was an immigrant, but he was a faithful one. God made his name great. So great that he would be the descendant of our very Savior. But notice that the text continues. It says, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. It's not for your own sake 
but it's for the sake of others. That's why I will make your name great. It's not so that you can puff yourself up. It's not so that you can build your own empire. It's so that you will be a blessing. We see that in the scriptures. But but here's the promise for us. I believe God will make our name great. And when I say our, I'm not just talking about rooted fellowship. I'm talking about uh, the movement that God will birth out of this. I don't want to be arrogant or ignorant in believing that we're the only church that has this vision. No, no, I believe that there are many churches in this country that have this vision. I've spoken to many of them. Say, hey, listen, we, we want to be a part of this. We're excited about this. We've been trying to do this. So I believe God will make our name great. Those, those churches that gather together to say, listen, we want to we glorify God as he forms a family for himself from all people. And so he will make our name great, not for our own sake, but so that we might be a blessing to others. I believe this to be incredibly true for the African continent. That the church in Africa has an opportunity to display to the world what it means to be truly transcultural. And so here's why I say that. See, Africa has 3,000 distinct ethnic groups. Some research says actually over 3,000 distinct ethnic groups making up over 2,000 languages. Let's not talk about cultures or socioeconomic levels. This continent is home to the most genetically diverse people on the earth. So diverse that two Africans are more genetically different from each other than a Chinese and European are from each other. Just think about that for a moment. I read that and I was slightly confused. <laughs> I was like, but, but, but this continent is made up of mostly black people. But I guess the, the shades are incredibly diverse. And then if you add to that our Caucasian brothers and sisters, and then if you add to that our colored folk, and if you add to that the Indians, and if you add to that now the Asians, And the Arabs, too. (laughs) Cannot forget my brothers and sisters. The diversity that this continent has far exceeds any other continent on the face of this earth. But this continent has experienced injustice, poverty, inequality, civil war, And the list goes on and on and on, both from the outside and from within. We're faced with incredible challenges. But imagine, imagine with me, if the gospel spread and took root and people were being transformed by the saving work of Jesus and disciples were being made all in transcultural communities, where the Hutus and the Tutsis would come together and worship the Lord Jesus, 
where the Yorubas and the Ibus in West Africa would put aside their hatred and fellowship under Jesus Christ, where black, white, colored, and Indian in South Africa, despite our history, wouldn't just tolerate one another, but would reflect, embrace, and enjoy the full breath of God's creative genius. The true, the true richness of the usness. Imagine. Imagine we get to display that to the rest of the world. That God is forming a family for himself from all people. That's my vision. That's my hope. That's something I want to get behind. And so when we gather together and then maybe someone comes and says, listen, I'm looking to do something very similar in Central Africa. How can we be a blessing to you? When they come and we're looking to do something in North Africa, how can we be a blessing to you? When they come and they say we're looking to do something very similar in our townships here in this very nation, how can we be a blessing to you? What a display of God's glory to the world that would be. The fourth promise. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. What God is saying is that those who interact with you, those who join you, those who aid you, I will bless. Those who don't bless you, those who don't believe you, those who will not... those who will stand in your way and not believe in the one true God, I will curse. God says that, uh, that things will not end well for them. For those who seek to stand in your way, things will not end well for them. I love this passage. I love it. I love this promise because what God is doing here is He's ensuring victory. He is ensuring victory. He, he knows it's going to be difficult. Imagine for, for Abraham, it's like, God, I I don't know. Look how old we are. You're taking us out of our comfort zone. You're taking us to a place where we don't even know. God is saying, but I will ensure victory. God says the same thing to us. As we gather here, we may be small in number, but we are big at heart. Because God has ensured victory. We know how the story ends. We'll get to that at the end of the series. But Revelation tells us how the story ends. And so we move from a place of victory. We act from a place of victory. That changes the game completely. It changes the game completely. But the fifth and final promise that God gives to Abram and that he gives to us, he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That word all in the Hebrew, guess what it means? It means all. Everything. Everyone. All. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this is the landing spot for all these promises. They're all found in this final one. God did all of this through Abraham. Because God's plan has always been to fulfill his mission. Forming a family for himself from all people. When we read this final promise, 
And he says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the language that Jesus uses in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, when he calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. This isn't something that Jesus came up with that we see in the New Testament. No, this has always been the plan of God. It's always been the plan of God. That all people would know and worship God together as family. See, I don't think Abraham fully understood this. I don't. I don't think he fully understood what this all meant. But what I do see in the scriptures is that he understood enough to be obedient to go. It was enough for him to be like, you know what, I don't see the full picture, but I'm going to go. I don't think Abraham understood how this was going to be done. I don't think so. But we do. We do. How did God do it? Through Jesus. God fulfills his plan through Jesus. He fulfills this beautiful plan, this tapestry, the richness of the usness, this transcultural church. He fulfills it through Jesus. And so it's here in Genesis we see the beginning of God's plan to form a family for himself from all people. And it would be through the descendant of Abraham that Jesus Christ would come to reconcile us first back to the Father and then to each other. This has always been the plan. It has always been the plan. Jesus reconciling us to the Father and then to each other. Regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our culture, our socioeconomic class, where we grew up, where we were educated. I have people come and say this to me time and time again. Oh, now why do you always talk about race? Why do you always talk about culture? Why? Why are you always bringing it up? Because it's an implication of the gospel. It's an implication of the gospel. It's the very plan of God. And so for me to remove it is to remove the very gospel. And I'm not planning on doing that. I want to be obedient. I want us to be obedient to the core. So what does this mean? What does this all mean? It means that the church is the fulfillment of this plan. That you and I, you and I, think, think about it, maybe even look around. We are the fulfillment of this plan. That God invites us to participate. He invites us to participate in this beautiful vision. We are walking in the blessing stream of Abraham and as we, as we walk hand in hand with Jesus. That the world is meant to look to the church and see how people of different ethnic and cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds are meant to walk together, not only in proximity, but also in propinquity. Not only in proximity, the constitution of this country has established proximity. 
legislation will establish proximity. Only the gospel, only the gospel can create true propinquity. What is propinquity? Well, it's very similar to proximity. Not only are we close to one another, but then emotionally and intellectually we're close as well. That's, that's what it means by definition. The gospel calls us to that, that we, we shouldn't be comfortable just to be like, you know what, I go to a church where I get to sit next to black people or white people or colored people, rich people or poor people. That that's great and we celebrate it, but the gospel calls us to more than that. That I am to look to you and call you brother and sister. That's the gospel. And that's what it calls us to. This beautiful truth of transculturalism has to flow out of this Sunday gathering into our living rooms. It has to. Into our living rooms, into our personal spaces, at the dinner table. Maybe that's one way to ask who's sitting at your dinner table? Do they look like you? Do they think like you? Is it people who vote like you? Will you believe this? Will you believe that God has called us to be a transcultural movement? Or will you resist it? I got sent a a really amazing quote this week. Um, I found it incredibly powerful and relevant for where we're going and, and This is what it says. Inspiration and information without personal application will never amount to transformation. That's that's exactly how I felt, bro. I was like, sermon done. I'm finished. I'm walking away. I'm going to read it again. Inspiration and information without personal application will never amount to transformation. That we can sit here and be like, this is a great idea. This is amazing. I love it. It's in the Bible. I believe it. But if you do nothing with it, if you do nothing with it, some would say it's almost the same as those who are against it. And so will you believe this or will you resist it? Are you equally hospitable to everyone? What does your friend circle look like? These are some of the things that we're going to ask at Rooted Fellowship. What do your circles look like? Are you being called to be an immigrant like Abram? Whether it's locally or globally, Will you respond? Are you willing to forsake your preferences in order to obey God? Are you? Are you willing to be transcultural, truly transcultural? And it's the little things. It's the little things. And I'll use myself as an illustration because I know y'all aren't as bad as I am. I go through this every day 
with everything that happens in this space. Small example, and the band will know this, and, and Christina will definitely know this. We sing a lot of amazing songs. Some of them, they're, they're not what I listen to when I'm at home. I'm just keeping it real. Look, I, I, I love Bethel. I, I think their content is amazing. I think their musicianship is amazing. But uh, I don't have their CDs. I don't listen to them when I'm trying to get into that space. For me, the, 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 the whispering voices and the darkness, and the, it's, just, it's just not for me. But we sing them on Sundays. And when we do, I'm standing right here in the front and I'm praising Jesus. I am worshiping together with my brothers and sisters who do love Bethel. I'm not standing there like this, like, you know, I'm not feeling this. It's not my track. You know, like, what is this? What church is this? I said it was transculture. It feels really wild. What's... No. I am praising Jesus together with my brothers and sisters. Why? Because when we sing... Fred Hammond, Israel Houghton. When we get into those gospel tracks, they get to worship with me. They get to look and go, you know what, I, I, it's not, this is not what I have. This is not in my arsenal of tracks. But I get to see my brothers and sisters worship Jesus. That's what it means to be transcultural. And so are you willing to be transcultural? Are you willing to set aside your personal preferences for the sake of the gospel? I'll close with this. Here at Rooted Fellowship, we're going to champion this. And so you'll hear it time and time again. We're going to champion this because I refuse to miss out on what God has in store for us as we reflect and embrace and enjoy the full breath of his Imago day, his creative genius, the glory of his goodness and grace displayed in diversity. I refuse to miss out on that. And so the, the most loving thing I can say to you, if you're sitting here and going, you know what, not I'm going to wrestle with this. It's okay to wrestle because I'm wrestling as well. So if you're going to wrestle, I welcome you. But if you're going to sit here and be like, you know what, man, I'm going to zone out. Uh, This is why, why we got to talk about this. The most loving thing I can say to you is um, I can help you find another church, another great church. And they love Jesus. They really do. That maybe they're just, they're not willing to push on this. That maybe they feel that this is just an, an addendum to the gospel, an extra of the gospel. It's the most loving thing I can do to you because we will champion this because we believe it's the very implication of the gospel. That God calls us to it and that he ensures victory in it. And so we may be small in number, we may grow slowly, but take a look around. God is at work. He is moving. He is moving, family, and people are noticing I know this because they will come and they'll be like, hey, bro, we want to do what you guys are doing. It's not to make our name great for our name's sake. No, it's for his glory. And so I'm like, well, 
Man, I, we're, we're trying to figure it out. Come, come, come see. God is up to something. God is up to something. And so I'll leave you with this question. Are you willing? Are you willing to be obedient? Are you willing to believe that God is forming a family from all people for himself? Because I believe if we go, God will change this city. If we're obedient, he will change this city. He will change this country. He will change this continent and this world through his gospel-centered, disciple-making, trans-cultural church. Let's pray. And so, Father, we, we, we come to you and, and we, we plead that you would do this work. This isn't brand new. We're not being innovative. That this has always been the plan. And that we see it in the Scriptures. That God, you are forming a family for yourself, for more people. That you're inviting people in. And so we get to be a part of that mission. And so would you use us, would you humble us where we need to be humbled? Would you shine your light in the places where there's darkness, where we want to be seated on the throne, where we want what we enjoy and what we like to be at the center of everything, when only you can be at the center? And as we do that, we get to reflect and embrace and enjoy the beautiful diversity of this city. The city is rich in diversity. And so we're asking that you would use us to display your kingdom to a broken world. Father, we love you. We praise you. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.